ever had those times in your life where things didn't seem to go the way you thought they would? Just a couple of you. Especially those times in life where you sense God's in it. You sense his direction. You sense his leading. You have a pretty good idea of what you sensed was going to happen. Then all of a sudden you find yourself in situations you didn't imagine or in places you hadn't anticipated going. I was absolutely certain in fourth grade that God was going to use me in ministry the rest of my life. Matter of fact, I filled out one of those papers that you all have to do in third or fourth grade. What are you going to be the rest of your life? And I wrote I was going to be a missionary. I didn't even know what they did, but that's what I knew I wanted to do. A few years later, I came to faith in Christ, and I committed myself to him and said, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Near the end of my high school career, I knew I wanted to go to college to learn how to be a pastor and a missionary. And so the only college I knew because it was CMA was Nyack College. And so I signed up and went and spent four incredible years there, met the lady of my life there. We got married while we were there and we're having the time of our lives. I found out to continue in ministry, I had to go to seminary. So seminary was just starting there and they had transitioned from a school of missions to a regular seminary. And so I stayed on and Near the end of my seminary career, I said, I'm done. I love this, but boy, I got to use it. I want to go. I want to get a church. I want to pastor a church. Got all the information I need. I'm ready to go. Boy, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to change the world, like every 20-some-year-old thinks they're going to do. And so I went to my wife, and I said, would you please be willing to transfer all of your credits from NIAC to Geneva College? We're going to move back to Western PA. I'm going to pastor a church. Going to be great. We're going to go to the next chapter of our lives. She checked into Geneva. They took all of her credits And we moved back, packed everything in our vehicles, in a truck, and moved back to Western PA. I was going to be a pastor, had all the learning I needed to learn, and I was going to start a church. I probably should have checked to see if there were any churches available or any churches open, but I didn't. And there were none. And I realized I needed a job. I had a wife, and I needed a job. And I wasn't sure where it was going to go or what it was going to do, but I needed to find some work. And for the next two years, I spent driving truck. Now, there's nothing wrong with driving truck. Matter of fact, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I learned things. I learned a lot of things from some people at some shipping and receiving places in some of the mills around Butler County and Lawrence County and Beaver County that I'd never heard in all my life. <laughs> learned a lot of language that I never even knew existed. And I had the opportunity to relate to people and connect with people that I would have never seen otherwise. But I got to be honest with you, there was days that I was driving truck somewhere in the fifth month and seventh month and 12th month and 14th month and 17th month. And I'm saying, God, I, I don't know what I missed. I was absolutely certain you wanted me to be a pastor. I was certain you wanted me to do it in Western PA. I was certain that's what I would be doing now. And I'm driving truck. And I thought, did I miss it? Did, did I not hear correctly? I didn't know what to do. But I kept following him and I kept trusting him. And now 37 years later, I've had the amazing privilege of being in four of the greatest churches that God's ever had. But I got to be honest with you. There were times I wondered, what on earth are you doing? We're going to be in Acts 16 for the next couple of weeks. It is a powerfully profound section of Scripture. It's going to take me two weeks to unpack it. And so I hope you'll stay with me as next Sunday morning we get the rest of the story out of this really wonderful section of Scripture. In Acts 16, Paul is beginning his second missionary journey. 
He comes to Barnabas at the end of chapter 15, verse 36, and says, look, why don't we go back and see how those churches are doing? Let's go back and visit the believers in the towns we preached before the word of God and see how they were doing. Sounds like a great plan. And so they get everything ready and necessary to do that. The first journey, the first missions experience was amazing. God did some incredible things. People came to faith in Christ. Churches got planted, and now they wanted to go back and see how they were doing. Right at the get-go, though, that plan hit a rough spot when Paul and Barnabas disagreed over who was going to go with them. Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Paul said, no way. He bailed the first time. There is no way he's going with us again. Barnabas said, well, then I don't want to go. And I can't imagine what the discussion was like. We just see the phrase in there. It says sharp dispute among them. Have you ever been in a sharp dispute with somebody really close to? It usually is more than just a phrase called sharp dispute. It's pretty intense. And you know and I know that some of those relational rifts and relational conflict can take the wind out of our sails. We had a pretty good idea who we were going to do ministry with or what that was going to look like or who was going to do it with us. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all that, things didn't go as we planned. And we have little phrases that run through our head, all Christians ought to get along. And we go through that process of wondering, did I miss something? Did God do something? Was I wrong? And the list is endless of all the things. And I got to believe that's what they're wrestling through. And it's not what he planned. But here they are now going in another direction and Paul and Barnabas go together, and instead of Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas takes off with Mark and goes someplace else. Now he gets Silas, and Timothy joins them. And by chapter five or verse 5 of chapter 16, the plan gets back into full swing. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now, you've got to go back to chapter 15 to get all of that, but if you remember where we were a few weeks ago... Before we took our axe break, the church said, look, there are so many new believers coming in. We've got to help them understand how to grow and what are the requirements and Christianity. And so they sent letters out. And now Paul and Barnabas are taking those letters with them. So the churches were strengthened as a result of that in the faith. And they grew daily in numbers. And Paul's got to be feeling pretty good about what's going on. Verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. When they came to the borders of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul saw the vision, we got ready to go, leave for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach to them there. Verse 6 again, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word of God in the providence of Asia. When you look at that section of Scripture, you wonder why. Why wouldn't he have wanted them to go there? What were the purpose? What were the transitions that they had to think through in that process? i got to believe that Paul wondered that as well. I don't think he flipped a coin to see where they were going to go or put a map on the wall and threw a dart to say that's where we're going to go. I really believe that he felt he sensed what God wanted them to do until all of a sudden things begin to change pretty dramatically. And here they are now in that uncertain time of where they're going to go. They were excited about Asia. Imagine in your mind, Timothy, a brand new convert, a brand new minister, so excited about what God was going to do. Paul, this is going to be amazing. We've got to have a theme. We're going to Asia. I get it. Asian invasion. We get a banner. We put it on the side of a camel. We raise some funds. It's going to be incredible. And God said, no. 
Well, how about over here? No. What about? And again, things get to change or seem to change. Now, when we read this section of Scripture, we read it in a minute and a half. You've got to know that it took a lot longer for it to unfold than that. Days, maybe weeks going by from one place to the next place to the next place. The doors closing and the uncertainty that goes with that. I've got to imagine what it is they're thinking. No's from God, another no from God. I know we heard. I know we sensed that. I've often cautioned young pastors who are coming out into the ministry to be very careful with a phrase, God said, God told me, this is what God says we ought to do. And you want to always be careful with that because sometimes it can be either misconstrued or you're sure you heard, are you knowing you heard? I've also said to them, when you relocate to another church, you really need to be sure that when you come back to the previous church and say to them, God is moving me on, that you know you have heard from God. Because for a lot of guys, we love the challenges and the next challenge and the next challenge. And sometimes we say, God's moving me on because it's our way of feeling good about the conquest or the challenge that is in front of us. And we're not always sure that we heard. I got to believe they wrestled through that. And they wondered, why now? Why this? Why this location? Why are you closing doors? Verse 8, they head for Troas. No plan, no vision. They just go in that direction. And then in verse 9, they get to vision. Sometimes it comes with answers. Sometimes we step out and trust. In verse 10, that we, you know who that we refers to? Luke, the writer. And now what you realize is you're going to get a firsthand experience as Luke begins to share with us what's going on as they now head in a direction they hadn't planned on going in places they never thought they would be in. And I've often wondered what it was like for Paul sitting in that boat, headed toward all of these places, anticipating this, anticipating that, now going in this direction, about the process that God was taking him through, the no's and the changes. I wonder if the word of God came to him on a number of occasions in one verse out of Proverbs that says this, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. How do you feel? When God seems to close one door and move in directions that you didn't expect. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's incredible. And sometimes it can be an unbelievable opportunity to deepen your walk with God and continue to trust in him. We have phrases that run through our mind. Well, when God closes one door, he opens another. Or when God closes a door, he opens a window. Really? Always? Not always. Matter of fact, sometimes we quote verses that really aren't even verses. The concepts that we think kind of go together to explain this confusion and try to better understand what it is that we sense we have heard, what it is that God is doing. And then in the middle of all of that, he just sometimes wants us to be quiet and trust and move in another direction. We know it's an opportunity for us to live by faith and not by sight, but sometimes if we're honest, that verse is easier to quote than to live. In life and ministry and other places, there aren't six easy formulas to follow. Sometimes our dreams become reality. Sometimes they die. Sometimes they change pretty dramatically. And our response in the middle of all of that is to continue to walk, continue to trust, continue to listen, and continue to follow, even when we don't understand. In verse 10, things begin to unfold, and Paul will have an opportunity in the middle of all of that to go, okay, now I understand. Things seem to be clear from God. Verse 11, they set sail. 
going to a place they never dreamt of, seeing things they couldn't imagine, but seeing God work in the middle of it all. In verse 11, it says the day took two tri- the trip took two days. Some commentators say the return trip took five, and that's only significant to kind of set the stage for how they may have been feeling at this moment. The wind is at their back. The sea is probably calm, which is why it only took two in this particular context. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all the confusion, a sense of peace. They land in Philippi. No synagogue, so they go to a place where they can find some people that may be gathering to hear more about what God wants to do. And so in verse 13, it says this, On the Sabbath day, we went outside to the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to some of the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into their home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And Lydia all of a sudden becomes the first fruit of their response to the Macedonian call. It's important to understand a little bit about Lydia. She's got a home in Thyatira and most likely a home in Philippi. She's Asian and many would believe a very wealthy individual. She's the dealer in purple cloth. She's in the fashion world, probably doing pretty well in the fashion world. She had already dispelled the rumor in her own heart that there weren't many gods. There was one God, and she began to search for him. She went a number of places on her travels and ran into a number of people and continued to search for who God really was. It says she was a follower of God and a believer in the fact that he existed, but there was still something inside of her that obviously or evidently may have said there's got to be more. Now, you've got to remember, this is first century, and all they knew about was the God of the Old Testament, and keeping the law and all that went with that. And now she has an opportunity to go to a Bible study with a number of ladies, and all of a sudden, the apostle Paul shows up right in the middle of their Bible study, and he begins to share with them what's going on. He begins to share with them the gospel of Christ. And Lydia, who had been searching for that all of her life, that thing inside of her that says there has to be more than what I know about who God is and that he's out there somewhere. But now this story that I've heard about the living Christ who came and died on a cross and rose from the dead and offered himself as a sacrifice for my sins, that's what I've been looking for. And she accepts Christ and she follows him. She hears the truth and she believes and many people come to faith in Christ when they know enough that they want to. Some, when they heard enough, they have to. Enter the next person in verse 16. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now, there's no way that you're going to be able to do this successfully, but I need you to keep that phrase in your mind for a few weeks until we get to chapter 17 because that's a fascinating piece of information. She's a slave girl who had been driven by a spirit who predicted the future, and her owners made a lot of money by her ability to tell the future. We're going to talk in a few weeks in February about the demonic world. And all that goes with that. And so often we write it off as if it doesn't exist. Or we put it out there somewhere knowing that it's relevant. Knowing that 
Jesus dealt with it on a number of occasions, and Paul did periodically, but we kind of keep it out there somewhere. And I believe there's a, a lot of things that God wants to teach us about that particular phrase and what you'll see in chapter 19. So I want you to hold that in your mind until you do, knowing that you're going to forget it by tomorrow, but I'll remind you of it then. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servant of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to her, In the name of Jesus, I command you that spirit be gone. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Fascinating portrait or a fascinating scene that Luke paints for us in this section of Scripture. Can you imagine in the middle of any service, anybody in our audience standing up out loud and making a comment about the service or a comment about my preaching right out loud so that everyone could hear it and that it would go on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I remember in my second church, I'd have a young or an older guy sitting in one of the first few rows who every once in a while would say to me out loud, are you sure that's where you meant to go? Now you said Corinthians, are you sure it wasn't Romans? Now, I remember this verse in Romans that says this. Is that where you, Bill, right? And every so often he would say out loud, what does that you said again? I want to write that down, Pastor. Is that really what you meant to say? And I'm standing there as a brand new young pastor going, what on earth am I to do? When you look at this context here, we just go over it so fastly, but this has gone on day after day after day. The fascinating part about her, she knew the truth, which is why James says it's not enough to believe in God. Even the demons know who God is. And all of a sudden, Paul, who had had enough, said in the name of Jesus, be gone. And the spirit leaves. What you see here in Acts 16 for these few moments is two of the contrasting ways that God speaks. Lydia, pretty much in control, a lot going on in her life. A seeker loans her truth, and by the power of the gospel, is transformed and changes her life. A slave girl who has nothing going on in her life, deep down inside her soul, is desperately lost, most likely doesn't even know the scripture. Paul doesn't use reason, doesn't invite her to a Bible study. He said in the name of Jesus, by the power of God, you're set free. In Lydia's case, God goes after the mind. In the slave girl, he goes after the heart. Some people come to faith in Christ when they know enough they want to. Others come to faith in Christ when they know enough they have to. In all the years that I've been here, I've had a host of experiences that you probably couldn't even imagine. But I vividly, when I say that statement, have two guys that immediately come to my mind. One had been transferred here from another location and came into my office every so often and would just simply ask me questions about Scripture. Got to know each other a little bit, went out to lunch a couple of times, and he just said, I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. And so he would come in periodically, I'd answer his questions, he'd get up and leave. One day he walked into my office and said, okay, I'm ready. I said, you ready for what? I'm going to accept Jesus. I said, now? Yeah, it'd be great. Like, what were you going to say? Next Thursday at 4? I said, it'd be awesome. He says, okay, what do we do? You get down on your knees and accept Christ, right? I said, yeah. So we got down on our knees and accepted Christ. When it was all over, he got, thank you, and walked out of my life. I haven't seen him for 10 years. A number of years later, I had another guy come in. They say he wanted to see me. Only gave me his first name, but he said, you'd know who I am. And so I invited him in. On the way in, I sensed the Spirit of God saying to me, he's not going to live. So when he sat down, he said, I, I really need to talk to you. I said, you're not going to live, are you? He said, how'd you know? And I 
explained to him what I sensed. He said, I'm not. Somebody told you, me that you're the one that would help me understand where I need to be and what I need to do. And I explained Christ to him and explained the plan of salvation. We had incredible opportunities to talk and to share. Come in two more times and saw him. Came here one Sunday morning right down this center aisle. Walked up to me and said, I did what you told me I needed to do. And he said, I'm in the family of God. And three months later, I got the phone call that he died. Some come to faith in Christ when they know enough they want to. This is the truth. I embrace it. Others, when they hurt enough, they have to, knowing there is no other answer in life but Jesus. Do you have any of those in your life? Let me give you a third. You find his story in verse 16, or in chapter 16 as well, following on the heels of what happened as a result of the slave girl coming to Christ. I want to begin it at verse 19. When her owners, the girl that was set free, realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews throwing our city in uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened to their feet with shocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were singing and praying hymns to God. I have to unpack that next week, but listen to the story. Singing hymns and praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul said, don't harm yourself, we're here. The jailer called for lights, rushed into the cell and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sirs, what do I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be, you and your household. They spoke to him the word of God, and the Lord to him, and all the others that were in his house. And at that hour the jailer, at that hour at night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Again, there's no way that I could possibly paint for you the portrait that you just heard in these moments. Lydia came to faith in Christ, and everything was awesome. The slave girl comes to faith in Christ, and they get beaten and thrown in jail. One translation said they were beaten with stripes beyond measure. You know what that means? They lost count. You're familiar with the fact that most of the time when the Romans beat anyone or flogged anyone, there were 39 stripes or 40 less one, which was 39, which most likely Jesus received. These guys are beaten beyond measure. Thrown in a dirty dungeon. This is not Butler County Jail. It is a filthy, rotten place to be. And when it says he put them in stocks, it wasn't those stocks that you picture in your mind from the 17th and 18th century where the hands go in one thing and their neck is there and they just stand in front of people. They're contorted. They're in a hole. They're in a pit. It's the most vile place you can imagine on the planet. And they sing songs. I got to wonder in the middle of They're wondering and waiting if they thought, wow, it's not what I expected. 
But I do understand now, at least, why we didn't go there and why we didn't go there, but why we came here. It was for Lydia, for the slave girl, and for this guy. Average, ordinary individual. Probably the regular blue-collar guy that anyone would have ever run across. But somewhere along the way, for whatever reason, something inside of him had to die. Because how on earth could you ever rest knowing what you just did and knowing what you see and knowing what you experience every day of your life and go to sleep? But he did. In the middle of all of that, God woke him up. (laughs) Not just physically, but spiritually. And he came to faith in Christ, he and his whole household. One, because she learned enough she wanted to. Another one, because she heard enough she had to. And this one, because he saw the visual demonstration of what faith in Christ is all about in the midst of the most horrific circumstances you can imagine. Three different people, three different ways they came to Christ. Three different responses to the gospel. Three different things that God does to draw them in. But every single one of them are at some point on their knees before the living Christ and invite him into their lives. And I've got to believe in the middle of all of that, Paul, with all those questions that were probably running through his mind, said, okay, now I know. Now I understand. I didn't like it. I didn't understand it. I knew where I wanted to go. I don't like being in jail, and I did not like that flogging. But if in this case that's what it takes... I'll continue to follow. In your life, all kinds of people come in and out of your journey. I got to believe that there are a few of you in here this morning that have a Lydia in your life. Got her act together. Life looks good. Pretty much everything she needs, and you would think in your mind she doesn't need what I have. Doesn't need Christ, doesn't need the gospel. She's got it all. She knows God. She goes to church. Something deep inside of her said there has to be more. Very faithful, very consistent, probably went on a regular basis. And if I were to tell you some of the churches she probably would go to if she was here today, you would say, yeah, I've seen a lot of those. But didn't have a relationship with the living Christ. And you didn't even think to share that with her because you thought everything was okay. I also got to believe there are people in your life who you know are in bondage. You see them bound, not by physical chains, but by emotional and relational and all kinds of things going on in their lives. And you think that's the last thing they're going to ever share with me about what's going on in their life. And the last thing they'll ever do is come to Jesus. They're so far gone. They're so far away from God. There's no way God's going to ever penetrate that deep heart and ever going to penetrate that deep need. And maybe somebody comes to your mind who you know is like that that you've probably thought there's no way they'll ever come to faith in Christ. And then maybe there's an ordinary guy or an ordinary gal in your life who somewhere along the way, for whatever reason, something inside has died. And they're watching your life because they know you're going through some really deep waters. And they don't like it and they don't understand it, but they're watching you and you don't like it and you may not understand it. But I guarantee you they're watching you. And maybe in the middle of all of their life, they've waited for that one person who handles life in so many amazing ways 
that they come to you and say, what on earth makes you so different? And you have the opportunity, like these guys, to say it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Anybody come to your mind? A Lydia, person in bondage, an ordinary person who inside needs to have the life of Jesus reignite their soul. Let's ask him if he brings anybody to your mind now. Let's pray. Listen very carefully to the voice of God and maybe your own heart. And think about the people that God has in and out of your life. And maybe that Lydia or that person in bondage or that ordinary individual, like the jailer, who inside has died but needs reignited with God. And ask him, is there someone that he wants to use you to reach? Spirit of the living God, they're all around us. People that come in and out of our lives, in and out of our circumstances. Sometimes we don't even know that they're watching us who do. And so I pray that you'll give us eyes that are sensitive to where they're at. To the one who seems like they have their life together, goes to church on a regular basis, that we think has it all together in their lives, who really doesn't. To the one who we know doesn't that maybe we've even written off because we think they'll never turn around to the one that's just looking and watching. And so would you help us to be very aware of who they are and how you want to use us, even in the midst of our difficult circumstances, to be used by you in amazing ways to see their lives change for all eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.